Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for making River Glen a part of your weekend. My name is Sue, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I hope you all had a great Christmas with your family and friends. I hope you had a chance to attend one of our Christmas services here, um, either on our physical campus or online. And if you are joining us online today, then I'm so glad um, that that is an option for those of you who aren't able to join us in person. Well, when I woke up a couple of days ago, I thought to myself, it's over. Some of you are looking at me puzzled, like, what are you talking about? This is the most wonderful time of the year. But I heard a few chuckles. There are some that agree with me. Thank goodness the most wonderful time of the year is almost over. I'm just joking, sort of. Well, it is New Year's weekend, and that's usually the time when we start turning our thoughts to what's next. And New Year's celebrations often mean New Year's resolutions, so I thought we would have some fun tonight um, so that we can think about New Year's resolutions in case you're starting to feel a little pressure about what you're going to say tomorrow night when someone asks you what your resolution will be. So a few years ago, Jimmy Fallon asked people to tweet out resolution fails. And some of them were kind of funny, so I thought they might inspire you to do a little bit better this year. So here's some of my favorites. This first one says that my resolution on January 1st was to lose 15 pounds, and as of today, I have only 20 more pounds to go. <laughs> Definitely a fail. My resolution was to read more, so I put the subtitles on my TV. And then this last one says that my resolution is to stop honking at people while driving, so now I clap instead. If you see me applauding you, that means you messed up. Well, they are kind of funny, but many of us do make a serious attempt at setting goals or resolutions at the beginning of a new year. And some common ones are to exercise more often, to save money, to manage stress. But when I did some research on the more popular resolutions of the past few years, some interesting ones came up. For example, some of you are going to resolve to learn a new language in 2018, which I think is very admirable since I am at that age where retrieving words in the English language is getting a little bit difficult. And another one that I thought was interesting that said that lots of you will resolve to build your personal brand in the coming year. I'm not even sure I know what that means, but I hope it works out for you. Well, I was thinking back on some of the resolutions that I made over the years, and there were the ones I made when my girls were really little. Um, I remember I resolved to scrapbook all of their important and regular moments of their lives. Do you guys remember that trend, the acid-free paper, the stickers, the creative storytelling? Uh, I got pretty good at it, but of course, my youngest child has a severe lack of pictorial documentation of her life. Sorry, Claire. But I made resolutions about chore charts and cleaning systems that were very guilt-inducing. And of course, I resolved to exercise and eat better many, many, many years in a row. And over and over again, I would struggle to follow through or to see results from my resolutions. And a lot of times, I would wonder, why do I even bother? I mean, why? Maybe you felt that way too. Maybe you felt like change was too elusive, that your struggles would always be the same like I did. Or maybe you have had hope at the beginning of a new year for a better relationship or for better priority setting only to fall short just days or weeks into that new year. Some of the research says that 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by the middle of February. And you might be nodding your head thinking, yeah, that sounds about right for me. But the goal, of course, is to start new, to begin again, to experience transformation in our lives. So what if that were truly possible? 
What if we could do better than we have in past years? What if we could make a resolution and then experience regular, ongoing transformation that results in real life change? Well, I believe that it is possible, and the message of Christmas that we heard last week is the springboard for that possibility. That's why I'm so excited about the line from the song, O Holy Night, that I get to focus on tonight. So let me recap just a little bit for you. We're finishing up the series called The Thrill of Hope that we started at the beginning of December. And each week we took a line from the popular hymn, O Holy Night, and then we looked at some biblical truth behind it. And we're finishing up this series, um, and you might have thought that that series should have ended on Christmas, that the culmination of hope was really the birth of Jesus. And I'd say, yes, that's definitely true, that Jesus is the reason for hope. And even um, if you were here last weekend, I'm sure you heard that truth in Ben's message. But there is one more line in that song that we thought it would be important to focus on, and that's the line that comes after, till he appeared. It's the line that says, but yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And so today we're going to talk about how on that holy night when Christ was born, God ushered in a new day, a new and glorious morn. And it's a chance for us to start fresh, to experience the newness that we're looking for when we make a New Year's resolution. Jesus' birth makes it possible for us to be transformed into something new and to embrace a new and glorious morning for our own lives. I know that I was making fun of New Year's resolutions earlier, but there is actually some pretty solid research on why people have been doing it that way for many generations. And I came across this study by a man named Dr. John Norcross. He's a clinical psychologist from the University of Scranton in Pennsylvania, and he's a researcher in behavioral change. And he did a study tracking 400 people over several years that wanted to make change in their lives. And he put them into two groups. I think we have a, a chart about it here. So group one are those people that wanted to make a change in their life. They wanted to make a resolution, but they didn't want to get involved in the hype of New Year's. And then group two were those people who made resolutions on New Year's weekend as a New Year's resolution. So in group one, as he tracked them, two weeks in, only 51% of them had kept at their change. So that's a pretty good um, percentage. But what happened later at six months in, only 4% of those people had kept their change. So those who made the resolution not at New Year's, they struggled a little bit. But this second group, those who made resolutions on New Year's weekend, two weeks in, I think it should be 71% kept at their change. Well, that's a pretty significant difference. But the most impressive difference came at six months in, where 46% of the people were still working on that change. So with this group of 400 people, those who made resolutions on New Year's weekend, they were 10 times more successful than people who just decided to make a change at another time of the year. And I think the point is clear. I think many of us are resistant to the idea of a New Year's resolution, but this just may be the best time of year to start fresh. I think some of us here today are in need of something new this coming year. And I don't mean just the traditional resolutions of losing weight or better time management. I'm talking about internalizing the Christmas story and letting God transform our lives, letting God lead us in to that new and glorious morning. Why not choose this time of year to make a change? 
That first Christmas ushered in a new day, but Christmas isn't something that just happens once. It happens over and over again. Ben talked about this last weekend, that there's this transformation that occurs immediately when we believe that Jesus came to secure our eternal life. But encountering the Savior at Christmas also means letting him consistently, moment by moment, transform our tomorrows. Christmas means we can have a fresh start in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, really in every area of our lives. And if you're not sure if that type of change is possible for you, I want to spend the rest of our time tonight talking to you about a man in the Bible and sharing his story with you, a man named Paul. He was probably the last person that anyone imagined would change. And if transformation is possible for Paul, it's possible for anyone. So we're going to read the story of Paul's transformation in Acts chapter 9, but I want to give you a little bit of background. I'm sure many of you have heard the story of Paul. He um, planted dozens of churches at the start of Christianity, and he wrote many of the books that are in the New Testament of our Bible. But before all of that happened, he was on a very different path. In fact, in the book of Galatians, which is one of the books that Paul wrote to a church that he planted, he described himself this way. He said, for you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I was savagely persecuting the church of God and trying to destroy it. Now that description, savagely persecuting, it's not an understatement. Paul grew up in Rome, so he was a Roman citizen, but he was also Jewish. So his Hebrew name was Saul. So when we read or talk about Paul or Saul today, it's the same person. But as a young person, Paul got his training in a rabbinical school, and in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, Paul describes himself to a group of Jewish listeners as being thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and just as zealous about God as any of you are here today. So Paul went on to become a Pharisee, which is a religious leader, and he was a member of that group of people that Jesus often chastised in the Gospels because they were more concerned about following religious rules than they were about loving people. And the Pharisees opposed Jesus because their training and their studying led them to believe that a Messiah that came as a baby and then was crucified was both impossible and actually offensive. So as the Christian church was starting to form, Saul, or Paul, was determined to stop it. He traveled around arresting anyone who followed Jesus, and in Acts 22.4, Paul admits that I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. So let's pause there for just a minute and put ourselves in Paul's shoes after he becomes a follower of Jesus. If this was the story of your past, if you had been responsible for the persecution, the imprisonment, even the death of many Christians the way Paul was, how do you think you would feel about it? Can you imagine how the baggage of Paul's story could have weighed him down even after he became transformed by God? How he still might carry some of that shame or that regret. But look at what Paul says when he reflects back on his past. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul says this, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When Paul is reminded of his past, this is how he responds. He forgets what was behind and he strains towards what's ahead. 
We're going to come back to this verse a little bit later, but Paul understood that to embrace a new and glorious morn means leaving some things behind. Those things could be failures, they could be regrets, they could be wounds that you received from someone else or maybe your own misguided choices. They could be things that happened this past year in 2017 or things that happened a long time ago, way before this past year. You know, when I look back on this past year, there are definitely things I wish I could do over. Mostly, they involve the way I spoke to my family, to my husband Steve or to my girls. Sometimes I let my anger and my frustration spill over into words that I can't take back. Or I think about the times that I let busyness in ministry take priority over the time spent on relationships with people I love. But my biggest pain really comes from those times this past year that I let my relationship with God, my time in the Bible or my time praying, I let it lapse for maybe days or weeks at a time because I know that my effectiveness in my job and my own personal daily choices, they suffer greatly when I am not pursuing intimacy with Jesus. Now, I know I'm not perfect and that all relationships, even the one that I have with God, takes work. But if I dwell on those failures, then I can easily slip into almost a self-loathing, and then that makes me want to withdraw from all my relationships. But Paul is encouraging the Philippians that now is the perfect time to forget what's behind and to push towards what's ahead. It's time for a new beginning, a fresh start, a new and glorious morning. We can't change the past. We can't change what we ate that wasn't good for us. We can't change the words that we said that were hurtful or even some of the choices that we made. But sometimes it's best just to leave it in the past and to move forward into a new day. You know, Paul had a lot of stuff in his past that he needed to leave behind. But if transformation was possible for Paul, if a new and glorious morning was possible for Paul, it's possible for anyone. So let's look at Acts chapter 9 to see what it was that made it possible for Paul to make the statement that he does in Philippians chapter 3 so he could step into a new new day. Acts chapter 9 is really a picture of Paul's New Year's Day. So we're going to start in verse 1, and it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So Paul is out for blood. He's making murderous threats. But then something unexpected happens. And starting in verse 3, it says, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So can you imagine this? A supernatural light, a booming voice coming out of nowhere, calling you by name. It sounds a little bit like a scene out of that Stranger Things series that's really popular on Netflix right now. Maybe this is where they're getting their ideas. Just saying. 
but a situation like this would definitely freak people out. How do you think God gets our attention today? It's not usually a bright light or a booming voice, although he is God, so I wouldn't rule that out completely. But usually it's through a friend who uh, may be concerned about you. Or sometimes it's a family member who suggests that you might want to make a change in your life. Maybe it's a message you hear at church or a song that you hear on the radio that really resonates with you. I believe that Jesus is regularly calling out to us, inviting us into something new, that God calls you away from your past and into a new future, into a transformation. Today, I want to challenge you to think and to consider how God might be calling you. Well, let's read what happens next. So in verse 7, it says, The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. So Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So Jesus tells Paul to go into the city and wait for further instruction. And there's a little twist to the story here because Paul is now blind. Now, I think Paul could have chosen right here to turn and run in the other direction. Even blind, he could have ignored God's voice. I would certainly have understood if he had done that. But Paul chooses to say yes to God. Of course, there is the bright light and the booming voice, but he still had to decide to listen to the instructions and to trust them. He literally can't see anything in front of him, but he decides to take the next step. You know, it doesn't say much more in uh, verse 9 there than, other than that he didn't eat or drink for three days. And I'm just speculating here, but it could be because there was so much churning inside of him that he was physically nauseous. For three days, he thought about his past, and he thought about this supernatural encounter with Jesus. So I guess I'm not really that surprised that he couldn't eat or drink. But let's keep reading because I really like the next part of the story. So while Paul is sitting in Damascus, blind, unable to eat or drink, God's speaking to another person in the city, a man named Ananias. So pick it up here in verse 10. It says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So God speaks to Ananias in a vision, but he's not too sure about helping Saul. I mean, can you blame him? He knows that Saul is the one who's arresting and killing Christ's followers. And I think his response is really good for us to read because I think many of us might respond in a similar way if we felt like God was nudging us to serve someone who we knew believed completely different than we did. I can see myself even responding, God, are you sure that's what you want me to do? But God assures him, yes, that's what I want you to do. And so picking it up in verse 17, so Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me 
so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up, and he was baptized. Well, thankfully, Ananias obeys, and God uses him not just to restore Paul's sight, but to help Paul launch his entire ministry. And today, we know what kind of enormous impact that Paul's life had on the spread of Christianity. But even Saul, even Paul, who's someone that God had a huge plan for, he couldn't move forward on his own. He needed Ananias to help him. You know, back in verse 8, Paul says yes to God. But here in verse 17, Paul says yes to the help of others. And I think one of the significant things about this story is that Ananias is a relatively obscure character in the Bible, but he plays a huge role in spreading the gospel. Ananias isn't one of the apostles. Um, we don't really hear anything else about him in the New Testament. But without Ananias, Saul doesn't become Paul. And Paul becomes one of the most influential leaders of the early church. This story is one of the most remarkable transformations of anyone in history. And if transformation is possible for Paul, it's possible for anyone. Now let's go back to that verse I read in Philippians chapter 3, and let's read it one more time. Because Paul is encouraging all of us, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul pens these words after he's planted several churches, and now he's on the other side of persecution. The very friends that used to elevate him, now they're the ones beating him, imprisoning him. Um, they're the ones who are just angry that he is a spokesperson for the message of Jesus. I'm sure they mocked him and harassed him about this transformation in his life. But Paul had a close personal encounter with Jesus, and it changed him. The same type of encounter that I'm sure many of you had last weekend when you sat in this room for one of our Christmas services. Or maybe you were at another church somewhere else, but you heard again the story of Jesus' birth and the reason that he came for me and you. I want you to take a minute to remember that encounter you had last weekend. You can close your eyes if you need to, but remember what it felt like to sit in this room and to hear the Christmas music. Maybe you were sitting with the people that you love the most. Remember how it felt to hold that lit candle and then to look around the room at all the other candles shining their light. Remember what it sounded like when the whole room was singing together. Let the memory of that feeling motivate you to embrace your new and glorious morning this weekend. Like I said earlier, Christmas ushers in a new day, but it's not something that has to happen just once. It can happen over and over again as we daily encounter the Savior and let him transform our lives. Are you in need of a new day today? Could you use a new beginning? Are you ready to live in your new and glorious morning? Why not choose now? as a time for transformation. Today could be your day to say yes. I think some of you need to say yes to God by starting a relationship with him today on this New Year's weekend. You heard the story of how Jesus appeared 
last weekend and now you're ready to respond. You need to embrace Emmanuel, God with us. Today is your day to believe that Jesus came for you and to receive the thrill of hope that comes with a new life in Christ. Some of you need to say yes to God by getting back on track with following Jesus. You need to embrace what Andy talked about several weeks ago and fall on your knees again this new year by listening to God, by reading his word, and by talking to God through prayer. I know that it can seem overwhelming to start spending time alone with God on a regular basis, but I would encourage you to start in the Gospel of John. We have free Bibles out at the Welcome Center. You can stop by and get one before you leave and then just open up to the Gospel of John. Start in chapter one and just read for like five or 10 minutes. You can just stop when something challenges you or really moves you and then talk to God about it. Just say a simple prayer, something like, God, show me how to live the way Jesus did. I think you'll be surprised at how God will respond to even that kind of simple prayer. And then make a decision to attend church consistently on the weekends in 2018. Next week, we're starting a new series called Dangerous Prayers. And we're going to teach through four simple prayers that anyone can pray in their time alone with God. And these prayers are powerful. That's why we're calling them dangerous. Because they have the power to consistently and regularly transform you in 2018. Some of you need to say yes to God by obeying what he's calling you to do. I think this is where those more traditional resolutions come into play. Maybe God is nudging you to take a risk this year, and it's time for you to listen and to move forward. Or maybe he wants you to start a new chapter in one of your relationships, letting go of some hurts and letting go of some destructive patterns and starting new. Or maybe it's a time for a reordering of your priorities that's going to lead to healthier ways of living. As I worked on this message, I believe that this is the area where God is calling me to say yes in 2018. And finally, some of you need to say yes to others by letting people walk this faith journey with you. We all need people like Ananias to walk alongside us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to help us say yes to the new day that God is calling us to. And this January, we're going to have lots of opportunities for you to circle up with other people who are following Jesus. We launch a new semester of small groups and classes at the end of January at our group link event on January 21st. There's a card like this in the seat back in front of you. It has the date on one side and a place to sign up on the other. A small group can make a big difference in helping you see transformation in your life. You know, when I'm letting anger and frustration rule my personality, it's my Monday night small group that encourages me again and again, week after week, to surrender my anger to God and to let the Holy Spirit fill me with the fruit of love and joy and peace. I need my small group to keep me from wallowing in those dark places. And so I'm so thankful that our discussion and our prayer time pulls me into the light of Jesus week after week. As we wrap up today, have you ever heard the phrase, the next right thing? 
I know it's been around for a long time because I Googled it, and I could be wrong, but I think it has originated in the recovery movement of Alcoholics Anonymous. I found this. It says, recovering people are encouraged to ask their higher power for the next right thought or action as they face temptation to relapse on the road to recovery. I first heard this phrase when I was reading the story of a young wife and mom whose husband had cheated on her in a really public way. Her story was all over the news, and she was bombarded with public reactions, people giving her advice about how she should respond to the situation. And in an interview, she said this. She said, I don't know how to handle this situation. It's not anything I thought I would have to walk through. I just tell myself to do the next right thing, to have the next right response for the next 15 minutes. And I love that phrase because none of us can know what God has in store for our lives before we get to heaven, but he's given us this instruction book on how to do the next right thing. Anyone can embrace a new and glorious morning by taking it one step at a time, saying yes to the next right response, doing the next right thing. Make a good decision, one that puts Jesus at the center of your life, and then just keep making that same decision over and over again until it becomes a habit. Sometimes I think it helps us to follow through on a yes when we write it down. And so that's why I asked the ushers to give every one of you this card as you came in. And I want to encourage you to take a few minutes, maybe right now or maybe sometime before the weekend ends, and write down what you think God might be saying to you about your yes for 2018. And then if you're feeling extra brave, share it with somebody else. I would love, if you want to, just come and share it with me or email me your, your yes to God. And I promise that I will pray for you to follow through. I would also love to help you find some other people, a small group to walk alongside you. Are you in need of a new and glorious morn today? Now is the best time of year to forget what's behind and to strain towards the goal. As Paul stepped into his new day, he and other Jesus followers transformed the entire world. And if transformation was possible for Paul, it's possible for anyone. So let's say yes together this year's weekend to all that God has for us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today as people looking for transformation. We believe that you have a plan for us that includes good things. Help us to have the courage to say yes to you in this new year. Help us to seek your voice, to listen to the truth of your words in the Bible, and to let other people walk alongside us on this journey to follow you. God, we choose today to forget what's in the past and to press on towards what you're calling us to in the future. We humbly ask you for a new and glorious morning, the transformation of our heart and our actions that is only possible by your power. God, strengthen our faith to believe that the transformation you provided for Paul is available and possible for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.